guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the life, a career, and death of famous musicians. And I'm your host, LD. Alongside me, as always, is TJ. And actually, hey TJ guys. has the, the reins today. So who are we going to be talking about today? Today we are talking about the illustrious, the incomparable Miss Patsy Klein. Love Patsy Klein. Everybody love loves Patsy Klein. If you don't love Patsy Klein, I don't know what's wrong with you. There's got to be at least one song that somebody loves of Patsy Cline. I mean, she's had an incredible career, and you really can't not love at least one song of hers. Sorry, guys. Yeah, and uh, this is going to be, <laughs> this is kind of a rough episode for you personally, right? Yeah, personally, this is a little bit rough. Um, you know, Patsy was a big, big figure for uh, my grandmother and I, a big bonding point, and um, so we're coming up on the anniversary of my grandmother's passing, so it becomes a little bit of a tricky episode for me, um, especially doing all the research and like listening to the songs to get myself in the mood and, you know, digging. But on the other side, it's really been kind of cathartic because Patsy was always a big figure for us. And, you know, I've got stories of, of singing crazy and all that for my grandmother. And um, But it was also a little cathartic because even though I knew the songs, I didn't know much about Patsy the woman which I know seems ridiculous because there's so much out there about her. But this just gave me the opportunity to kind of focus in a little bit and and really kind of learn more about her. So I'd like to pass that on to you guys now. This is kind of what this podcast is about, though, is that, you know, you love Patsy Cline, just like I really loved Roy. And, you know, Mm -hmm. now we get to dig deep and you get to see where a lot of their influences came from where their inspiration came from and where they came from. And that's that's kind of what we're striving to do on the podcast. So, I mean, when you're walking exactly. away from this episode, you're going to have a, a greater appreciation, not just musically, of what Patsy went through, but, you know. Oh, I have mad respect for Patsy now. Yeah. <laughs> like, not only just as a fantastic artist, but, like I say, as, as Patsy the woman, mad respect for her. And we'll get into all that uh, shortly. So hopefully you can kind of see what I mean about this. I mean, feminist through and through and and just a strong woman that broke boundaries and broke barriers and and has been an incredible influence on a lot of people and the industry as a whole and you know so so we'll get into all that uh we also need to note that uh okay so tracy my notes are a little (laughs) tracy's a little scattered at the moment (laughs) and i'll get better tracy doesn't have a printer no and so she handwrites <laughs> all of her notes. And so if you hear paper flipping, as I'm sure you did in the first episode, because, you know, I like to type all my stuff out because I have the world's worst handwriting. So everything has to be typed out and then printed because uh, you guys don't know what our pod space looks like, but it's basically a couch with an I- Ikea table. table. And the Ikea table is about a two-footer. We basically record this at a coffee table, folks. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> essentially. So, so, if you'd like to donate to our Patreon page, you can do so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Please help us buy at least cushions because sitting on the floor, it hurts. It, it, it hurts. Things it, have fallen it, asleep it that rough. I didn't think could fall asleep. <laughs> All right. So, tell me about <clears throat> Patsy Klein. I want to know about her. Okay. So, Patsy Klein. Patsy had a rough growing up. She's born as the eldest of three children to Hilda Virginia and Samuel Hensley. And they're in this little teeny tiny town called Winchester, Virginia. Now, if you thought 
Roy Orbison and his wife were bad at 22 and 16, I have some bad news for you. (laughs) Oh, no. So Hilda was 16. She was a seamstress, which is important later. Okay. Make a note, guys. Her father, Samuel, was a blacksmith and was 43. Oh, God. (laughs) So, yeah. No. Stop marrying (laughs) 16-year-olds. I feel like we're going to run into this often, though, because it was a little bit different time and that was a little more common still back then um, to have such a significant age gap. I wonder if she had a dowry. (laughs) I doubt it because they were incredibly poor. All right, fair. The family is not well off. And the town of Winchester, it's very divided between money and not money. So it's a wrong side of the tracks situation, literally, where she lives on the poor side of the tracks. And her family is kind of looked down upon and they're not embraced. And even even just up until recently, Patsy was not owned by her hometown as being an icon and legend. So when Patsy was 13, she ends up getting a throat infection and a rheumatic fever that's really bad and she's hospitalized. And she attributes her voice to that moment and, you know, coming out from the hospital with this big booming voice. And and uh, so she actually attributes her, her talent and her voice to that moment. So important to note. Um, from there... When Patsy's supposed to be in high school, which stay in school kids, uh, no matter what Patsy did, but she ends up quitting high school to go and work as a soda jerk and a, and a waitress in a local diner in order to help provide for the family. So I'm not kidding. They have no money. <laughs> They're really, really poor. So what ended up getting Patsy started with music she would watch performers through the window of a local radio station. And one day she went in and talked to DJ Jimmy McCoy and asked if she could perform on the show. And this was... Fortune favors the bold. Yeah. This was in 1947. So Patsy was born September 8th, 32. So now she's 15. And she just walks up and asks if she can sing on this show. So... She performs and she's well received, and so she's asked to continue to come back. This starts a string of performances in variety and talent shows in that Tri County area that will eventually lead forward. But it's really what's really cool is that actually Patsy, because her mother's a seamstress, those iconic fringed cow western cowgirl outfits that she wore early in right. her career were actually sewn by her mother oh, wow. based off of Patsy's designs. Wow. So yeah. She's like multi-talented. Yeah. So very talented, very thrifty. Like they make it work. But then again, you'd think you like, know. you know, when we were talking about Roy Orbison's sunglasses, how that came out of like, but, but when you think about Patsy Cline, you think about her with her guitar and those fringe jackets. Yeah. Well, in the early days, and then it's, it's very interesting because eventually that shifts over to her cocktail dresses but those iconic early performances of hers in those little fringed outfits were her designs sewn by her mother. So I, I just think that's really kind of a cool little tidbit, a little fun fact for you. But it also lets you know that her mom was with her. Like, oh, her, yeah. Her, her mom, mom was, was pushing her talent, and yeah. it wasn't, she wasn't her mom trying was to a hold big her back. Part. Yeah, her mom was a big part of, of her 
moving forward in her career and was there with her. So, you know, that's just really cool. Little tidbit there. Patsy goes out and she performs in all these talent shows wearing mom's clothes. This leads to her gaining a little following and then leads to her joining Jimmy Dean, who's already famous at this point. I love um, his sausages. <laughs> I know. I saw them in your freezer <laughs> when I got my glass earlier. <laughs> um, so this leads her to being a regular with Jimmy Dean on the Town and Country Jamboree radio show in 1954. What was it with the word jamboree? Because Roy was in a jamboree on Saturday nights. Well, I don't know. I mean... Why don't we have jamborees anymore? Kind of south and western-y. I know, but we're south and western-y. And 19... Early 1900s? <laughs> I don't know. I jamboree... Wanna, jamboree's a cool... I want to cool, go to a cool jamboree. Word. I want to go to a jamboree. Who's who's hosting a jamboree out if there? If you're hosting hit us a up jamboree, on please, please hit us up on Twitter. We will come to your jamboree. We will come to your jamboree. Within reason. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in the Burbank area and you're holding a jamboree, we are there. Yeah, hit a, hit a, hit us up on Twitter at Rock and Roll LT about <laughs> your jamboree. Blog, I love you. Shameless promotion, baby. That's what all it's right. all about. Jimmy Dean and Patsy are doing this town and country jamboree radio show, and this is in 1954 that they start doing this. And um, it's actually something of note. There's rumor, anyways, in one of the little clips I saw from a from a documentary of them actually not getting along despite performing with each other and having good chemistry on stage supposedly they it was like oil and water backstage like they they just rivaled they didn't want anything to do with each other so supposedly now that's hearsay from friends and band members at the time but you know take it with a grain of salt not much to substantiate it's just something somebody said about them um but interesting, if it's true. Patsy actually builds a reputation for having been incredibly warm and open with everybody, very giving, you know, being one of the guys. So I find this very odd that she doesn't get along with Jimmy Dean. And maybe because it was early in her career. I'm not sure. But uh, before she had gained all this respect, because she she goes on to be known for being a very guy's girl, like very tomboy, sitting at the bar, telling jokes with them all. There was a, a quote about, if you tell a dirty joke, she'd tell one dirtier. And Oh, I, I feel know, like me and Patsy would have been friends. Oh, yeah. We, I think we could have been friends with Patsy. It would have been a no-brainer. But so she actually gained a lot of respect later in her career from the other men, as well as the women that she would empower and encourage in their careers as well. So very odd to hear that potentially she did not get along with Jimmy Dean. But, uh, you know, that is what it is. Maybe she was vegan. (laughs) Well, then she and I could really get along. (laughs) So that was 1954. So in 1957, she marries Gerald Klein. And this is where she gets the Klein from, folks. Uh, At this point, she's, you know, before that, when she's with Jimmy Dean, she's remember, she is still performing as Virginia Patterson Hensley. But wait, how old is she when she gets married? So she was born in 32. She gets married in 1957. So she is 25. Okay. Respectable age. That's, (laughs) that I can get behind. At 25, you're smarter. Yeah. 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 She's 25 at this point when she gets married. Um, But before that, she's still performing as 
Virginia Patterson Hensley. So or, she hasn't adopted or the moniker Virginia of, Hensley. She hasn't adopted the moniker of Patsy Klein yet. She hasn't. Right. So she's still performing as Virginia Hensley, and she marries Gerald Klein in 1957. Now, it doesn't last long. <laughs> oh, no. No, it does not last long. Um, because... <laughs> Please don't go blind. Oh, I'm sorry. No, she's, they're married until 1957. I need to look something up really quick. Sorry. They get married in 1953. But Patsy's kind of building her career. At this time, she's still going by the name Virginia. Unknown if she's still using Hensley or Klein now at this point when she's playing with Jimmy Dean. But she's still going by the name Virginia. And her career's starting to take off. So she doesn't have any kids with George. And they're married until 1957. But she keeps his name, obviously, Klein. How many years are they married? So they were married basically four years, 1953 to 1957. I mean, still four years in the entertainment industry. That's still like a lifetime. Poor Gerald kind of gets screwed. Sorry, Gerald. Patsy gets signed with Four Star Records in 1955. That's two years after they're married. And um, which is a subsidiary of Decca Records. Which is important to note for later. So Patsy gets signed to Four Star Records in 1955, uh, which is a subsidiary of Decca Records, which is important to note for later. With Four Star Records, she records like 51 songs. Wow. And she picks up her second manager, Bill Peer, who got her that record deal, who gives her the name Patsy. Do we know where Patsy came from? Just Patsy is basically working from her her middle name Patterson. Um oh. and I think I read something about he had he had a daughter named Patsy. Mm-hmm. Um so he ends up giving her the name Patsy which would build her career from. What's interesting to note here is they're trying to get her to sing more pop crossover type of songs because they feel that her voice is best suited for that. Patsy refuses. She does not want to sing those those pop and torch songs that will inevitably make her a star and a legend and an icon. She doesn't want to sing them at this point. She wants to sing her country songs. All she wants to do, it's quoted, all she wants to do is sing country songs and yodel. And <laughs> she, you know, God, she story wants, of my life. She wants her banjos and she wants all her, she wants to sing her honky tonk songs. She goes to the contract and the contract states that she's to sing country songs, so she sticks with that. So while Patsy's on the road, she ends up meeting a man named Charlie Dick. And he is, you know, the the good-looking ladies' man type of guy. But she ends up running into him frequently while she's... So are you saying he's a sharp-dressed dick? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she, she ends up meeting Charlie Dick, and he's this really well-dressed ladies' man by fate or whatever. He ends up being at a lot of her shows while she's traveling. Like, it's just the same circuit that he, of places that he tended to go to. Um, So eventually she gives in to his charms and starts an affair with Charlie Dick while she's still married to Gerald. No. And involved in an on-again, off-again relationship with Bill Peer. Oh, her manager? Her manager. Wow. She's a busy so, lady. Yeah. But, you know, she's all about her career. And so she ends up divorcing Gerald Klein, obviously, because she cites Charlie Dick as the love of her life. And they end up getting married 
1957 and have two kids. Sucks for Gerald Klein, but it worked out all right for Patsy and, and Charlie. Hmm. Um, there's no, no reference of anything of infidelity of Charlie, so maybe it just was the one. Hmm. 1957, a little song called Walkin' After Midnight. Oh, I love that song. Is debuted. She finally gives in to to everybody wanting her to do these little pop songs. And she's actually noted of saying when she first heard it and not wanting to co- not wanting to to record it, not liking it because it's quote just a little old pop song. Now, now, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. This could be not true, but the song Blue by Leanne Rhymes. We'll get to that. Okay. That's later on. I'm not wrong then. Woo-hoo. Well, kind of. I'm never wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Um, So with Walking After Midnight, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to record it. But the songwriters and the label insist. At that point, they have all the power because she's under contract. Yes. At that point, they're tired of her not wanting to do what they want and not getting the success that they believe that she could have. So she ends up recording it and it debuts on Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts which is a TV show at the time on CBS. So kind of like the, the precursor to like Star Search? Or... Kind of, yeah. Okay. Um, with the audience like clap-a-meter thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> like determining, <laughs> determining the winners. Um, yeah, so she had auditioned in 1956. And in 1957, they finally have her on. Well, she's supposed to perform a whole different song. And again, now the producers have heard the recording and the producers insist that she sings Walking After Midnight because the record's going to release soon, the single's going to release soon, and they, they want to promote it. So that's already done for her, and she's already kind of probably a little cranky about that. Well, then, to top it off, they don't want her to wear her homemade cowgirl outfits on the show. So reality TV so was now happening they, like the, the, yeah, the seeds it, for reality TV. It started TV early. <laughs> setting early in. Yeah. So they insist that not only does she sing Walking After Midnight, but she wears a cocktail dress instead of her homemade garments. Now, clearly this all works out fine because the audience response is so big that it fills the clapometer the plaza meter, and she ends up winning the competition. Oh, wow. So then listeners start calling into the radio to ask for the song, so they end up releasing it as a single. And just like that, Klein is a star. Now, it's important to note, it's 10 years of performing. It's like over a decade of performing at this point, since her first performance was in 1947, and it's now 1957. So it's been a decade of performing, and she's and, an overnight and, success. And she has already been on national TV three different times for different things. But it's this particular performance and this particular show that make her a star. And she's a stubborn, stubborn lady. I like her. Yeah, I do too. But she's a stubborn lady. They release the single and it reaches number two on the country charts and number 12 on the pop charts, making her the first female country artist to cross over into pop. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's incredible. And she's now a regular guest for a couple weeks on Arthur Godfrey's radio show, but he eventually fires her because they have disagreements on creative control. Go figure. 
Patsy is not having it. She wants to do what she wants to do at this point. She's still very headstrong. I really like what you're saying. I feel more and more of a kinship to (laughs) Patsy Cline because she's... It's the 50s, and she's still like, no, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I mean... Oh, it get, it gets better. She's... I mean, later on, they actually noted um, her good friend Dottie West um, actually notes that it's well known that you don't mess with, with the Klein, which is Patsy's nickname for herself, was the Klein. <laughs> you just don't mess with her. She, she ain't having it. She fought hard to get where she was going and where she ended up. So, bad respect for Patsy. We love her. She's got a little lull. After the walking after midnight thing happens, and she's still not convinced of this lush Nashville sound with all the orchestration, she ain't having it. So she's off riding with her friends now. And so she's gone quiet, basically. Not much is happening for her at this point after the resounding success of walking after midnight. That brings us to I Fall to Pieces. She leaves Four Star Records and signs with Decca. Remember how I said that earlier? That it was important? Four Star was a subsidiary of DECA. So she signs with DECA in 1960 now. So her first single that she ends up recording for them, or first track that she ends up recording for them, is a little number called I Fall to Pieces. Again, love that song. Yeah. Patsy is still kind of fighting back against the pop song thing. She really, she just doesn't want to do it. And she's really kind of nervous and scared of that Nashville sound that she's not used to. She wants to be a little honky-tonker. So Patsy's still really scared of this Nashville sound, but her new producer on DECA is a man named Owen Bradley, who is a legendary producer for female country artists at the time, including, like, he produces Brenda Lee and Loretta Lynn and helps make their careers. So he insists that her voice is best suited for these country pop crossovers and gets her to sing the song, to record the song. And so she records I Fall to Pieces, and it's released in 1961. That earns her her first number one hit on country on the country charts and reaches number 12 on the pop charts and number six on the adult contemporary charts. So again, another huge, huge, huge crossover hit for Patsy, establishing her very well. Um, and really just, again, making her somebody again after, you know, the three-year lull from Walking After Midnight. However, tragedy strikes. Oh, no. And if you've done any research on Patsy ever, (laughs) you probably know about the infamous car crash that almost ended her career. Um, she gets in a car crash and insists, like, her brother's driving and her brother dies. Oh, no. Yeah, it's just... It's terrible. But when the responders come to the scene and they're trying to help her, she insists that they go and take care of the other driver first. And, and you know, thankfully, she survives with, you know, some major injuries, but she was determined, like, no, go help the other driver first. And he, the other driver, dies there on the scene as well. Oh, wow. Dottie West rushes to the scene and is, you know, there with Patsy and witnesses the driver die and witnesses Patsy insist that she not be taken care of until the, the other driver is attended to. This will become a tragic influence on Dottie's life later on in 1991. Dottie's in a horrible car accident. Mm-hmm. In Patsy's in Patsy's image, Dottie 
refuses care until the other driver is taken care of, proving to be did, a did mistake. Did die? Yeah, Dottie died. <laughs> yeah, proving to be a tragic So basically tragic what happened was, like, Dottie went to the scene, witnessed this happen, saw what Patsy did, and then kind of emulating Patsy when right. she was in her own car accident. She said, take care of the other driver, and because of and that, And it ended she, her life. Got it. Un- very unfortunate situation there, but... That happened in 1991, yeah. so several several years later. Decades later. But, yeah, you know, they were very close friends, and she really admired Patsy. So she's there at the scene with Patsy and um, sees all this go down. Well, so Patsy is hospitalized now for quite a while, dealing with the injuries from the accident, and it ends up leaving her with a huge scar on her forehead. She had a big gash and um, ends up with a large scar on her forehead. From that point on, she you'll see like her more with bangs and wigs and covering the scar now. Mm-hmm. Um, she also would use headbands a lot to help with headaches that she would get afterwards. She's in the hospital now for six weeks, and then she also has uh, she reaffirms her faith with Christ and everything. Uh, as well, becomes a little more religious again. So she's in the hospital for six weeks, and then she leaves there on crutches back on the road. It's important to note because it actually makes a big a big impact. Like she's not able to monetize the popularity on of I Fall to Pieces because she's in the hospital. So basically, she was <laughs> in the hospital and. While she's in the hospital, this song has already gained and is starting to wane in popularity. Right. Yeah. So she's she wasn't able to capitalize on that, so got to hurry up, get back to studio. She goes back to studio with a little number called Crazy. Oh, never heard of it. Never heard of it, right? Never heard of that Little song. tune by Willie Nelson, hmm. um, which she didn't like right away because of the narrative that he had in the demo tape. So she didn't really like it right away. But she ends up recording it, which they start recording on Thursday, August 17th, 1961. And this date is important because it's it's the rare time where Klein could not finish the recording in one take and in one sitting. Hmm. Her injuries from the accident are still just a lot to handle. And while she's trying to match Willie's idiosyncratic narration of the song from the demo, she's putting too much pressure on herself. Her ribs aren't allowing her the space to hit the high notes in his rendition, and she can't do it. Now, normally, at this time, they're used to recording four songs in a single three-hour session. Well, this particular song, they ended up four hours on just one song, which is insane, for that time. It just doesn't happen. Owen Bradley comes in and, and talks to her and says, I don't think that you should be matching Willie Nelson's portrayal. I think that you need to add your unique persona and and flair to this and convinces her to do that. So it's decided that she's going to leave on Thursday and the instruments are going to get recorded and she's going to return the following Monday to, to re- overdub the vocals. So... Then, of course, she comes back on Monday and flawlessly delivers it in one take wow. with her rendition, with her her uniqueness added to it. Um, and, of course, you know, clearly it was a massive fail. Uh, <laughs> Obviously. I mean, since massive I've never failure, heard of clearly. it. Massive failure, clearly. No. Um, but it's so 
you know, because we've done a couple of these so far, it's just, it seems like to me, performers have something different than the rest of us because they will do something like get into a car accident and be in the hospital, probably against her will, yeah. for weeks. And then even if they're not fully rested and fully healed, they're back at it. You know, Roy mm-hmm. had the open heart surgery and two weeks later he was on tour. Yeah. It's guys just need to take a break. It's okay yeah. to let yourself heal. Well, but if you're if you're somebody like this where, you know, she's had a couple near successes that then dwindle off because of too t- too much time away or not being able to follow it up, she's very concerned at this point that she really wants this. If she takes the time away, then then you worry that you're going to lose that momentum and and that is everything and it takes mm-hmm. so much sometimes to get it back. Yeah, fair. So, yeah, I mean, the music industry is a rough place sometimes, you know? Well, so is, you know, acting, you know? if you Exactly. If you aren't in that movie, if you're not in that commercial, if you're not in that play, then you're not having that visibility and you're, you know, there's a chance you're going to fail. Yeah, you become forgotten. Yeah. And that's not a comfortable place for anybody that's in the entertainment industry to be. So, can't really blame her for wanting to get back at it right away, especially following the huge success of I Fall to Pieces. You don't want that to go away. Yeah, keep so, the momentum going. Yeah. Got it. So she records crazy, and, you know, they. a lot of people attribute her performance and the success of that to Owen Bradley for kind of navigating her fear and getting her to, to do it in her own way, which made it a success. And it's widely noted that it's a whole different song her portrayal is a whole different song than what was originally pitched from Willie Nelson. Like, the versions are just two different things completely. (laughs) So... God, how old is Willie Nelson? I hope that man is invincible (laughs) and just will be around forever because I love you, Willie. You just... And he's got some great songs, too, man. Like... I love my own... I am my own grandpa. (laughs) Nice. She records crazy and... And it blows up, obviously. Um, It straddles both the country and the pop charts in top 10 positions and becomes her biggest pop hit. It will reach number nine on the U.S. Hot 100 and number two on both the Hot Country songs and adult contemporary charts. So just a little number. Loretta Lynn recounted in her autobiography or on her album, I Remember Patsy, that at the Opry premiere of crazy klein received three standing ovations wow not one not two but three i don't even know how that works like do they sit down just to stand up again like i just think they keep well they it ends everybody claps and they keep clapping till she comes back out and then they sit down and then she performs and then she leaves and then they stand up again and then they clap for her again and then she comes back out and then they sit down and she performs. or maybe i don't think it's like encore performances though so maybe it's just that she leaves the stage thanking everybody and then comes back out receives more and then back and if then... you guys have ever received three standing <laughs> ovations please uh hit us up on twitter and <laughs> please hit us up on our social media yes and let us know how that works that i've is... never received three standing ovations i'm not sure how what that counts hey loretta if you're listening you want to you want to hit us up and let us know what that means yeah give me a call my phone number's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or somebody that knows Loretta Lynn or something, if, if you're you, listening if you know, and could, um, could explain to us how this works a little better. And kind of a personal story on this, uh, again, as I noted earlier, my grandmother and I have such a 
had such a huge bond over Patsy Cline. And uh, a big part of that was the song Crazy. And for the longest time when I I was starting out singing in bands and and trying to go out and do sit-ins and whatever, I would avoid the song Crazy because it was considered a chick singer, air quote, song. And, you know, most people can't rise to the occasion and, and, and the like. But I was with this band. Right, so are you saying it's something like it's such an iconic song that you don't want to be compared, like, with Etta James doing it yeah, last? Like, and Yeah, like... Uh, Tons of singers cover these songs, but at the same time, I'm I'm definitely one of those that if you can't do it justice, just don't do it at all. I'm the same. And and but it's also one of those. So when I say a chick singer, quote unquote, song, it's usually what band members will attribute to a singer that's just up there to look pretty and can sing a song, and you know is covering the same thing that everybody else sings. Like it's just really derogatory and stupid, but of being a chick singer versus being an artist and a musician and a vocalist. But that's, you know, working on the shows that we work on. Yeah. I know when something comes across my desk, if it's new and it's interesting, and even if it's somebody doing someone else's song that's a really iconic song, if they've done it new and they've done it in an interesting way, it'll catch my attention because it's still familiar, but they've put their own stamp on it. And I know that that for me... Or even if you can just take it what it is, but really kind of elevate it or push the boundaries, push the boundaries, or even just really do it justice. And there's those iconic songs that it's really hard to imitate it, you know, and you just, just really just don't do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> unless, <laughs> unless you can really do it some justice, just don't do it. But in this case, I was working with a band and it was just, it's part of our set list because we were a variety band. So we basically went and sang all the the popular songs. And so... Um, Crazy ended up being one of those songs on the list that I, I kind of fought back at first when I first started. I'm like, really? Like, please, like, don't make me do this. You know, I'm not bragging at all when I say this either of... Yeah, you are. You know, I, I'm not <laughs> trying to anyways. But, you know, when I when I sang the song in our rehearsals and everything and I would sing it out in public, you know, it always would get really good response. And so the band leader was like, no way are we cutting that song. It's, it's huge. So my grandmother got to come to one performance of mine. My grandmother, I mean, she's she's very frail, very sassy little lady, like, oh my goodness. But she would get cold really easily, so she didn't go out of the house very often. And especially... I've, I was playing, it was winter time. I didn't realize that I was your grandmother. I know. <laughs> you and grandma are very similar. <laughs> but she's she's cold. She doesn't want to go out of the house very often. And, you know, the band kind of stayed around the Twin Cities area. We were down south more in Minnesota. And um, so I, we finally played a gig that was close enough that she decided she really wanted to come to. It was only half an hour away from our, from the house, so it wasn't too bad. And so so my mom and, and everybody got her in the car, got her bundled up, got her in the car, brought her to the show. And she was so excited to be there. It's the only performance that she ever got to see live. You know, people would take video and stuff for her and show them to her or, you know, record it or they'd call her while I was singing and, you know, so she could hear it. But um, she's a big fan of mine. And uh, so... They get there, and I go and I give her a hug and a kiss and all that and say hi, and she she's hugging me, and she grabs onto my shoulders, 
and she says, are you going to sing my Patsy tonight? And and I looked at her and I said, well, I don't know. I said, I don't think I'm going to. And she's like, why? I said, because you're going to start crying and then I'm going to start crying. And this is a very difficult song to sing while you're crying. <laughs> and And so she gets those big doe eyes and she shakes her head. She said, I promise. I promise. I'm not, I'm not going to cry. I promise. I said, if you promise not to cry, then I will sing this song for you. And she says, I, I promise and crosses her heart and, you know, promises. So I get up on the stage and I start singing the song two lines in. Oh no. She's front and center at this show. Two lines in. I look down and she's a big crying mess. Oh, <laughs> and so, you know, I get through the verse and I kind of off mic to her. I said, you promised. And she, I lied. And, <laughs> oh, and so, so I can't look at her for the rest of the song because I start choking up a little bit. I made it through the song. <laughs> Not sure how, because by the end, I definitely was tearing up, but made it through the song and... You know, then we have half the set still that I have to get through, but we go on break and I go down and the first thing I, you liar! And she, I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> that one became a really, really important song for us. I mean, obviously it was an important song for Patsy, but, you know, I just thought I'd, just thought I'd share a little personal you know, And I like those story stories because, that. yeah, Patsy was an amazing singer, but it's, it's how, she touched someone's life and now you've taken something that Patsy created and turned it into something that means something to you. And I think yeah. that's what all artists strive for is to create something that touches someone for a very long time. And there are so many huge artists that can claim Patsy as an influence in their lives and in their in their craft. And she set the bar really, really high. I think it's it's one of those things that even though her career ended up being incredibly short-lived. You know, she still made a huge impact on so many people. Yeah. So so I'm glad that we're telling her story today. Yeah. Back to Patsy. She goes on from this point to being one of the highest paid female acts. You know, she's getting... This kind of launches her and brings her into the height of her career. And she's getting paid like $1,000 for appearances... I mean, that's unheard of at in the time. In the 60s, especially. Yeah. In the 60s, and especially for a female artist. And, you know, she's just, she's really blown up and, and able to demand quite a bit just off of a couple really major songs for her. And, it, you know, obviously now she's kind of gone into the more pop crossover and those torch songs that made her, made her career, made her so iconic and, and really kind of gained her popularity. And this is also where she starts kind of embracing the cocktail dress thing. And now she's no longer wearing her fringed cowgirl shirts and she's wearing her cocktail dresses and heels. And really, really important to note that this is actually a really risque, sexy attire. I mean, now you wouldn't think so that a fancy cocktail dress is considered risque, but at the time... It was very bold of her to wear the dresses that she would wear. She's actually got so much respect that she actually leads her own band. Usually bands are, are have a, another band leader and they're put together just to back the singer. But she's leading her own band. Wow. 
And, you know, as I mentioned previously, I mean, she she would go into the bars and hang out with everybody. And she was very well respected at this point. She buddy buddies with the guys and she's gained a lot of respect. And she's receiving actually more stately introductions of, you know, more of the the one, the only Patsy Klein versus the, oh, and here's pretty Miss Patsy Klein, hmm. like kind of condescending. She's actually receiving those more stately introductions. And again, it seems so small, but it was actually a really big thing for the time. You know, and she she held her hand, her fans, she held her fans in such high regard as well. And it's noted that um, she actually would stay behind for hours after her performances, signing autographs and chatting and actually becoming friends with some of her fans. Oh, wow. Um, so just a really down-to-earth lady. And she, I mean, she had to fight through a lot to get to where she was. She actually was also known around town, and this was probably before crazy, but but she was just known in general. She refused to play performances before she would get paid. So, <laughs> so this is probably earlier on in her career because, you know, after she's a massive success, you don't have to worry about that. But she was known around town. Like, you don't, you don't stiff Patsy. You don't mess with her. And so she would actually had a saying, no dough, no show. Because <laughs> promoters, at, promoters at the time would kind of stiff you. They would book you in to play the show with a promise to pay you after and then take off with the money and not pay you. So she she wouldn't play if she wasn't paid first. So she's a smart businesswoman too. Yeah. Huh. So Patsy's pushing all kind of boundaries over here. It's actually one of her band members noted in a later memoir about being at one of the shows where the promoter didn't pay them and she would not take the stage and the the audience is packed she won't take the stage and the band member is sitting there and he's like i don't i don't know what what we what do we do what do we tell the audience like who's gonna tell them that we're not going on and she she said i'll do it and walked out and told them they weren't playing because they had not been paid and yeah she's awesome you don't mess with patsy no you don't mess with patsy at all no we're getting towards the sad part Mm. um but something but but i'm gonna tell you every every episode of this podcast is going to end this way it's true they're all gonna end this way sadly basically we've established well that patsy is boundary pusher she is a bar raiser she's got tons of respect and now she's huge in the height of her career and so she's going back to studio now and She's working on what would be her last recordings. And at this time, she's actually feeling her own imminent demise and keeps talking with friends about how she doesn't feel like she's going to be alive much longer and and kind of putting her affairs in order and, and giving things away. So she goes into the studio and she's recording her what would become her last album. And when it's all done, she has a listening party. So she finishes her last recording on February 7th. Um, She will pass away on March 5th, barely a month later. So after she finishes the last song, which was called I'll Sail My Ship Alone, finishes the recording and she calls everybody in, all her friends in for a listening party. And 
at this party, she holds up a copy of her very first record and gestures to the, the newly finished tape and says, well, here you go. The first and the last. Oh, wow. And of course, Loretta Lynn is there and she admonishes her saying, oh, Patsy. And Patsy kind of goes on to say, well, no, I just mean, you know, here's the first one and here's where we are now. And like, listen to the difference. You know, I'm not sure if those are the exact words, but sentiment is the same. But so so she really kind of felt like this was coming on and she would say things and do things to that effect. And the album's done. It's hard. It's hard talking about this. So it really just kind of shows where she was in her own mind about what was coming. And she really just felt this unease about it. So it brings us to the infamous plane crash. Um, she was performing a benefit for a DJ named, uh, Cactus, Jack Call, who had died a month before in a car crash. And she, so she was in Kansas for this benefit concert. And, um, one thing leads to another. She ends up staying overnight because they closed the airports. So she'd flown in on a private plane and they'd closed the airports. Okay. And so she ends up staying overnight Dottie West offered to drive her back because they were driving back to Nashville. And she declined, saying, when it's my time to go, it's my time. That's, that's a it's weird... It's a very weird and ominous a really thing, weird to, thing say. to say. But I'm assuming she meant, you know, nah, it's not time for me to go yet. Like, from here. That's still I don't know, really but it's weird. Very, it's a very leading phrase, yeah. considering what happens the next day. So she stays overnight and she calls her mom, lets her know that she's, you know, going to be boarding and they're going to be on their way back to Nashville. So and at this point, she's still really close to her mom. Yeah. She's still really close to her mom. That's awesome. Yeah. So they board the private plane. And when they're stopping for gas just outside of Nashville, they're in Tennessee at this point. I think it's like dry or something. Uh, but it's a it's a private airfield or private airfield. Yeah. Private yeah. Airfield. So they've they've had storms. They've already stopped once in Missouri for fuel, and now they're stopping again in in Tennessee. And the storm's really bad. And so they were trying. The pilot, for some reason, they tried to have them just stop for the night and put them in a hotel because it was there was really bad storms. And this particular pilot... But we're not talking about like a really big airplane. We're talking about no, like a, a private charter yeah, jet. it's a little Cessna. Okay. So it's not a huge jet liner. Like, not something that can handle a storm like the ones we have, like the 747s that we have today that can kind of weather right. that storm. Okay. Like it's not a two-seater, but it's not some huge right. jet. Got it. So... The pilot, he's not trained on instrument flight, like using the instruments to guide instead. Of. So what is he using, the stars? So, but he's, I don't know. I don't know why he decided that he could handle it because there's no visibility. So he's he's flying visi- like blind. based on visibility. He is legitimately but, flying blind. Yeah, and he ends up oh in, this, in the middle of this storm and he isn't trained on instrument reading and essentially... That's what takes them down. Um, so is it turbulence or just the storm in general? And then probably some some issue or other, maybe dipping wrong or the, the details. There's not much detail there. The best That's the best that they know is that, man, the storm basically took them down. They ended up crashing only 90 miles 
outside God. of Nashville. So like literally three to four minutes away. Yeah. Oh, wow. And this was on March 5th. 1968. Wow. Um, a wristwatch, Patsy's wristwatch that was recovered from the accident was stopped at 6.20. So... Those are just like the, the little details that like genuinely break your heart because... Well, they really do. Was... I mean, it's it's just one of those things that she felt it coming. She, like, even that. And they had stopped for fuel. They could have just stopped. Yeah, or gotten a pilot that knew what the hell he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> or that. This does become a trend because a few years later, this happens again to somebody else. <laughs> that we're going to be covering on the podcast. Most likely, yeah. Well, I'm I'm talking about next week's podcast is going to be covering Stevie Ray Vaughan. And he actually... Oh, yeah. I think it was yeah, him. It was, a, it, was <laughs> yeah. a, it was a helicopter crash. Oh, then. not a helicopter. This was another person this, then. I got to look. I got to reference. Oh, but there are up. so many amazing But there's people. so many people that end up in these types of accidents. Yeah. and 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 a lot of them... Buddy Holly, the big bopper. Yep. Uh, That's actually very close to my home. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. Yep. They actually have a big bopper fest at our little teeny tiny Brownsdale bar every year. That's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome but sad. Um, yeah. So the airstrip where they were supposed to land, those lights stayed on all night. Poor Charlie Dick was calling, trying to get any information. The plane went missing basically, because it was dark as stormy. Nobody could find it. So the plane was claimed as missing. And so, you know, everybody's frantically trying to find them. And so they they find the plane, and shortly thereafter, looters descend and steal whatever they can. So... Jesus. See, this is is why I have no faith in humanity anymore. (laughs) Right. The only things that were actually recovered, her wristwatch. Uh, I really hope that's in a museum somewhere. I, I think it is. I believe it is. Um, so it was her wristwatch, a Confederate flag lighter, a, a studded belt, and three pairs of gold lame slippers. <laughs> See, that's why me and Patsy would have gotten along. Yeah, we would have been, all... been cool. We would have been tight. Three pairs of shoes for an overnight trip. So. Exactly. <laughs> Not even shoes, slippers. <laughs> so that was all that was recovered. Um, I do believe they are in a museum. That's good. <clears throat> After her death, you know, she had those last recordings. Um, so three of her songs end up becoming top ten hits after she passes away. And instead of releasing that last set of recordings as an intact album, they actually released a double album called The Patsy Klein Story, and that included greatest hits as well as some previously unreleased singles and a handful of her last recordings, about half. Oh, wow. So the her, her final album did get released, but it got released with extra stuff. So that was released right after her passing. But then her, fi- her final, her last final recordings, I don't believe were ever released intact. Oh, interesting. Um, Because the only other thing that I found was that in 1988, they released what they called The Last Sessions, but again, not complete. And rather than programming it like a proper album is generally programmed, you know, you switch up your tracks and make it the best 
order that you can. Like uh, following a good narrative and right and changing tempos and yeah yeah okay. So so instead of programming the album that way. They actually released the tracks in chronological order as they were recorded from February 4th to February 7th. Oh, wow. Yeah, kind of interesting way to do it. Um, However, the very first track that she recorded on February 4th, entitled Faded Love, and the very last track she finished on February 7th, the I'll Sail My Ship Alone, were not included on that album. Oh, I wonder why. Yeah, I'm... I have no idea. Like, that Hmm. seems like a really weird thing. Then in 2002, Patsy was named first on CMT's 40 Greatest Women of Country Music list. Um, In 2001, I Fall to Pieces listed at number 107 on the RIAA list of songs of the century. Wow. So pretty pretty big win. Pretty big win there. How many were on that list, I wonder? (laughs) I have no idea. I was wondering that, too, when I looked at it. I was like, well, how many were on the list? We should Google it. Oh, um, that's going to turn out poorly. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, in 2005, Patsy Cline's Greatest Hits album certified diamond status, which is 10 million Holy copies crap. sold. Yeah. I've never done 10 million of anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yeah, certified diamond by the RIAA and, and was listed – as the longest charting title for a female artist or by a female artist in the Guinness Book of World Records wow. in 2005. So that's, that's pretty you know, But for as short as good. her career was, she made a massive impact. Oh, yeah. Well, because she died. She was only 30 when she died. And her career was, I mean, she started young. So she had about a 20-year run, but was really only just getting started when right. she passed away. So I mean that's that's incredible accomplishment considering that she was she was really just getting started. In 1997, Crazy was named the number one jukebox hit of all time. That makes sense. Which makes total that's, sense. That makes yes. <laughs> it makes that makes a lot of sense. You I know, mean, it, I mean, I can only imagine too how many films have featured that song as well. Oh God, so many. Yeah talking about 10 million things that we've done i maybe have probably sang that song (laughs) maybe not 10 million probably nowhere near 10 million but it feels like it sometimes (laughs) you know obviously there's a ton of documentaries films books out there um too many to sit and list them i'm sorry uh and also you're welcome (laughs) but i would like to note there are two plays that are, well, I'm sure that there's more than two, but there are only two plays that are actually accepted and recognized and licensed by the Patsy Cline estate. And that's uh, A Closer Walk with Patsy Cline and Always Patsy Cline. They're the only only two that are approved by the Cline estate. So if you're out looking at plays of Patsy, steer clear of any ones that aren't those two. That's pretty much all I have. I mean... I've got a couple little fun facts from somewhere in the timeline that um, weren't very clear reading through it and just fun stories. So Patsy Cline would call her friends Hoss. And as I noted before, she called herself the Cline. Well, she ended up seeing Elvis Presley play at the Opry and immediately was a big fan of his and they exchanged numbers and became friends. Well, when she spoke of Elvis, 
he was not just Hoss. He was the big Hoss, was his nickname from Patsy Cline. And she actually ended up recording some tracks with his background singers for him as well. She broke through so many boundaries and barriers coming from from very little in a very small town, you know, nothing, to being one of the most highly sought after and regarded and influential and influential women in our in our time. And so let's let's rock it back because you said you'll get to it. But blue. Oh yeah, blue. Funny thing about blue. It's long been rumored, and I even believed it to be true for the longest time. And if you if you guys don't know, we're talking about the song the song uh, Blue by Leanne, Leanne Rhymes. Rhymes. Well, performed by Leanne Rhymes. <laughs> yeah. It's long been rumored that Blue was originally written with Patsy Cline in mind or for Patsy Cline. And I I believed it to be true as well, because when you listen to it, it's just so Patsy. Mm-hmm. But and actually, I found on I found links and on YouTube and everything where they say it's Patsy Cline, but it's clearly Leanne Rhymes singing. Right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, which was a huge breakout for Leanne Rhymes. Mm-hmm. You know, that started her career. Oh yeah, um, massive hit. Yeah, massive, massive hit. So Blue was originally written and recorded by a man named Bill Mack, who who notes that despite popular opinion and rumors, he had no one in mind. When he wrote that song. When did he write it? So he wrote that song in 1958. Okay. And he released it. He recorded and released it. Uh, Didn't really gain much popularity at the time. But he claims that the song and most of his songwriting was out of him playing around with his guitar with different chord and note changes. And he said when he got to, you know, when he started it, it all of a sudden just came as a flood. Within 15 minutes, totally flushed, you know, the song totally flushed out lyrically, musically within 15, about 15 minutes or so. So this is in 1958. And he did send a tape to Charlie eventually to pitch to Patsy. Mr. Dick? Mr. Dick, yeah. So he he sends a tape to Charlie Dick. And unfortunately, he has it and it's ready for Patsy. But the plane crash happened before she could record it because it was all right around that same time. So so basically what you're saying is that 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 he didn't write it with Patsy in mind, but he ended up trying to pitch it to Patsy. Right. He didn't he did not write it with her in mind, but he did try to pitch it to her eventually after it when it didn't reach its potential in on other avenues he did try to pitch it to patsy because everybody that listened to it thought that it would be perfect for her so there is some so there's some truth to the rumor okay that he did pitch it to her but he did not actually write it with her in mind got it so i've you know the song's actually been out for a long time i mean because the other part of that rumor was that he was since patsy couldn't record it he was holding on to it for the perfect person later well that's not true either it was covered by a number of artists before becoming a hit in 1996 for leanne rhymes and it was finally when the song got the recognition and earned a grammy and all that um, was in 1996 for Leanne Rhymes, but it was covered by several people prior to that. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's blue. <laughs> I know you had wanted to circle back to that. To circle back to yeah. that, yeah. No, that was a that was that was so good. Thank you. That was really <laughs> beautiful. No, thank you. Thank, thank, you. thank you. Um, I will say one thing too that might be worth looking up if you're interested in in learning more or just kind of inspired to listen more for 
of all the stuff with Patsy, I want to go back to her friendship with Loretta Lynn. And again, they were incredibly close and, and Patsy helped Loretta, you know, kind of get her start as well a little bit. And um, they just were very, very close. It goes back to how much Patsy would like would empower the other women that were coming up at the time to reach these same heights. And so Loretta actually released an album in the 80s called I Remember Patsy. And, you know, not only does she, you know, cover a lot of Patsy Cline songs, but she also has some narrative and just reminiscences of Patsy on there. So if you're interested at all in that, you can check that out. Excellent. All right. So I guess that about wraps up this episode of Rock and Roll Heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice story, TJ. Thank you, LD. So, guys, if uh, you'd like to reach out and help the show out, you can reach us on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash rockandrollheaven. You can reach us on Twitter at rockandrolllt. You can find us on Facebook at rockandrollheavenpod. You can find our Instagram on rockandrollheavenlt. And you can email us if you have any stories or suggestions or anything like that. Please feel free to reach out to us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. And we actually also set up a website, which is still kind of under construction. So it is really hard to uh, edit and edit a podcast and do the website and try to find all the materials while researching and doing everything else. So please forgive me. It is getting built, but you can find that at uh, rockandrollheavenl.wixsite.com backslash my site. <laughs> so hopefully when we finally get enough coming in from our Patreon, we can actually purchase a – Purchase pr- the domain. <laughs> purchase a domain yeah. that isn't everything. So rock and roll heaven L like Lindley. Because they cut off the rest of it. <laughs> because they cut off TJ. <laughs> so rock and roll L dot Wix site, W I X S I T E dot com backslash my site. And that's pretty much it. So, guys, tune in next week. We're going to be talking about Stevie Ray Vaughan. So, hopefully, we can do him justice. And other than that, keep rocking in the free world. Yeah. Have a good day. <laughs> Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.